that's living and active and powerful. And I pray now, God, as we dive into your word, God, that you would open up our minds, your Holy Spirit would teach us uh, from your word, uh, convict us, encourage us, show us how to be more and more like Jesus and to love him more in your son's name. Amen. If we could open that back door, that'd be great. Get some air in here. I know it's probably just me, but I'm I'm a sweater. Um, I, spoke at the, I, sw- I spoke at chapel or at the spiritual emphasis this week, this last week at, uh, at Alma Heights and uh, the chairs were like right here and I'm a profuse, I'm a profuse sweater and uh, there was kids sitting in front and I forgot to bring any hank or anything that first time and I just felt so sorry for them. They were just watching me just pour and just, it was, it was not, it was ugly. It was ugly. So hopefully... We're good today. So, you know, I wanted to start by letting you guys know that I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but growing up for me, when I was probably up and through into my mid to late 20s for some reason, I had a really difficult time with authority. I had a difficult time with people that had authority over me. I mean, this included my parents, teachers, bosses. Anybody can relate to that at all? You don't have to. You don't have to. People are pointing to other people. That's always nice. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really struggled with that. And, and later on, I came to realize that for me, for some reason, most likely because of my own insecurities or whatever, it was, it was easy for me to fall into feeling like those that were in authority uh, could possibly wield their power over me in a way that was um, maybe uncomfortable for me or even threatening to me. So I reacted to that. Um, it was easy for me to doubt. It was super easy for me to doubt. I didn't know it then, but now as I look back at it, easy to doubt that they had good intentions for me, that they weren't always out to get me or something bad wasn't going to happen. So in defense, what I would do is a lot of times is I would either uh, be indifferent towards them or I'd rebel. I don't know, you've probably heard that uh, illustration before. They talk about the kid at the dinner, at the dinner table where the mom, he's standing up in his chair, the little kid, and the mom says, sit down, sit down, sit down. And he, doesn't, he just won't do it, he just won't do it. And finally she threatens him. I can't remember what she threatens him with. But then finally he goes, okay, fine. He sits down and he, he's quiet for a minute. Then he says, okay, just want you to know, I might be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I am standing up. That was, that was me a lot of times when it came to authority. And, and I tell you this because I believe that oftentimes this is how people view God. I think it's easy to view him this way. Oftentimes because of our insecurities, whether they're big or whether they're small, without even knowing it, we can fall into wondering if or even doubting if this big, this mighty, this awesome God who has ultimate power, who has ultimate authority, that he truly cares, that he truly cares about our struggles and about our difficulties and our day-to-day yearnings. Does he really care? I think a lot of times we say it, it's easy to say that, but when it comes down to it, oftentimes we have a hard time and then we begin to struggle sometimes with indifference or even some type of rebellion. So how can we be sure? How can we be sure that this God who has all this power and authority is truly good? How can we know? Because we sing the songs, you're a good, good father. We sing all these different things. How do we know that he is good, that he truly cares about our struggles and our disappointments? Well, today in our passage, as we continue on in the book of Matthew, we're going to see some proof. Some definitive proof of how, along with his ultimate authority, God's intentions for us 
truly are for our good. And along with this, we're going to get kind of an example of what it looks like to how to treat other people. Remember, many of you know in Matthew 28, which we're going to get there, once we get there in about three years, it tells us this. It says, Jesus came to his disciples and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is what this tells us. Jesus possesses all the power and the authority of, yeah, of God. Yet in his humbled state as a human, he voluntarily limited the exercising of that. So with that, with that in mind, let's start looking at these verses. We're going to read the same verses that you just saw in the video, but we're going to kind of break them down slowly but surely so we can see this. So let's first look at verses 1 and 2. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. So here we see Jesus is, is having just finished up. Remember last time we talked, he just got done talking about how his burden is light, yoke is easy. Can we open that door like all the way? I just don't want these people to fall asleep. I, I do that to people all the time. So I, just want to make, I don't want to make it any easier. Um, so he had just got done talk, talking about that. And now his disciples are probably heading back into town. And they're walking through some grain fields. And they, because they're really hungry, they start plucking the heads of grain. And they start eating them. Now the Pharisees, or the religious leaders as they were, see what they're doing. And they confront Jesus about how his disciples were doing something unlawful. Now, it isn't that they were, it wasn't the picking that was, uh, or stealing grain that they were upset about. It wasn't like they were going, hey, that's not yours. Don't take that. It's not, it's when they were doing it. It's the time that they were doing it. They were picking the grain. They were doing it on the Sabbath. You see, keeping the Sabbath was a big deal to the Jews. I mean, the fourth commandment says to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy or to keep it set apart. Okay, the Sabbath, Sabbath was a day that God had set aside for his people to rest and to find refreshment. Uh, it was intended to be a day to take, to take a break, to stop from the hustle and bustle from working and to refocus on what was important, to focus on God, to spend time with our family, to spend time thinking with God. I mean, I really think this, this is a lost art today. This commandment is, is not null and void. It's still something for us today. My wife actually has done some writing on Sabbath and what Sabbath is actually about. Um, the book, you can get it. No, I'm kidding. I, don't. <laughs> I can plug. Um, but it's a very important thing, the Sabbath. And so, even, so then it was even more more in, uh, important back then. The Sabbath was a day that God had set aside. It was in the Old Testament. It was a pillar of Judaism was keeping the Sabbath. You had to keep the Sabbath. And the Old Testament commandment was clear. No work on the Sabbath. No work at all. Yeah, here's the deal. The Old Testament didn't necessarily provide these strict guidelines on how you're supposed to do that. It said, just don't work. Okay? Just don't work at all. So the question became, what actually constitutes work? What is work? Well, the religious leaders, these uh, consummate rule keepers, intent on making sure that people knew what they could and what they couldn't do and what was work and what wasn't work, they came up with a whole bunch of rules. They decided to make this list. And check this out. They eventually came up with 39 categories of activity which were classified as work on the Sabbath. 
They went crazy with this. For example, here's one. Many of you have heard this before. One of the rules they created was that you could not spit on the ground on the Sabbath because your spit would create mud, therefore making mortar. All right? If you created mortar, you were working, therefore you were sinning. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. So to the Pharisees, obviously what Jesus' disciples were doing was working. Okay? They were picking grains. They were what they were doing. When you pick grain, they were actually what they considered they were reaping. Okay? They were picking, so they were reaping. And to eat the grain, they would have to rub the grain in their hands to get the grain out of the husk, which constituted what? Threshing. So they were threshing. Okay? Both of these things were found on that list of 39 things. You could not thresh or you could not reap. And that's what they considered what they were doing. Now, Obviously, this to us just seems absolutely crazy. It's crazy they'd be talking about this kind of stuff. But this was powerful back then. You got to remember, this was a religious society ruled by religious rules. And so Jesus is coming to do something a bit different. So he responds to the Pharisees by asking them a couple questions. Okay? And he uses these analogies from the Old Testament. Look at verses three and four. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So Jesus takes them back, all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, where the story goes, the soon-to-be king, David, was being chased by King Saul. Those of you who remember that, he was out to kill him. And David and his men were running and going through the wilderness, and they were on the brink of starvation. And they come to this place of worship, the house of God, and they're just famished. They need some food. And since there was no regular bread there, what happens is the priest took the bread that was consecrated or it was set aside for only the priests. Only the priests were allowed to eat this. So the point here is that even though what David did was ceremonially unlawful, his authority, the authority that David had, had and the, as being the anointed successor of Paul, of Saul, actually, what this did, it actually set the law aside. Okay, it set the law aside so that they were able to do it. And what Jesus is doing is he's doing the exact similar thing. Because of his authority, he can do that. And because they had a a legitimate need, he's basically saying that if you understood, Jesus is saying, if you understood who I really am, you wouldn't just just use a bunch of liturgical rules and adhere to them. You would do what David did. You would set them, if if they would be set aside for David, why not me? Obviously, you don't understand who I am. I have much more authority than he does. So he's not trying to lord it over them. He's just trying to help them to understand that. And if this analogy wasn't enough, he goes on to another one, gives them another one. This one's from the Old Testament, kind of from the legal code. Check it out in verses five and six. He says, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. So here's what Jesus is doing. Now he's talking about the temple priests. Okay, he's talking about the temple priests who were actually required to work, particularly in giving of sacrifices on the Sabbath so that other people could work. I mean, to me, for me, this is a work day. 
Okay, I, I, Sundays is not a Sabbath day for me at all. Oftentimes I have meetings even later in the day. So I don't even consider Monday is, is my Sabbath that I try my best to not think about work, spend time with my wife, reflect on God, and um, not let all those negative things that pastors think about on Mondays after they preached. So that's, that's, my, that's a little bit of my world. So what he's saying is, because of what the priest's role was, and what, what was required of them, and their authority, because they were appointed as divine, for divine service, he said it was as necessary for them to set aside the Sabbath rules. So it was okay. And then Jesus, what he does is he goes and drops a bomb on them. Check out what he says. He says, he tells them that something greater than the temple is here. You see, to the Jews, the temple wasn't just like, like us. We go to a place, we go to a church to worship. The temple was much more than that to the Jews. It was more than a place of worship. It was the focus of God's relationship to his people. It meant so much to them. So what Jesus is saying is what God is doing through him, what God is doing through Jesus in ushering in this new kingdom, forgiveness and salvation for all is much, much greater than temple worship. See what he's doing there? He's trying to help them understand who he is and his authority and how he's over all this stuff. He go, look at what he says. Finally, he, uh, he responds to them um, using this prophetic principle. Look at verses 7 and 8. He quotes out of the Old Testament. He says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have commended the guiltless, condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, what Jesus is saying here is when he's quoting from uh, the prophet Hosea is that in God's scheme of priorities, when you look at what's important to God and how he deals with his people, mercy takes priority over compliance to religious rules and regulation. He desires mercy to show it, to give it, and for us to do the same. In other words, God's compassion for us is more important than any attempt to earn his favor by keeping religious rules and regulations. So often we think, yeah, God is good as long as I'm making sure that I'm not totally screwing up. I know God's going to be good. But when I blow it, when I do that very thing I said I would never do again, I, I know he's good, and I know the song, and I know the verses, but I sure don't feel like it. Because if I would have done what I just said I wouldn't have done, to some, and I would have told someone I wasn't going to do that to them, and I just went ahead and did it, I would have a hard time with that person. Or I might struggle with how I view them. See what we do? We take our human outlook on how we see other people and how often when people fall short of expectations, and we put those on God, don't we? It's so easy to put that on. This is how God must see me because of what I did. And he's saying, no, that is not it at all. His he's saying, my compassion is way more important than you doing good or making sure you keep the rules sure I want you to do those things. Sure I want you to be good and seek after me, but I want it to be because you know that I love you and I have compassion for you no matter what. 
Again, the Sabbath here was intended by God to be a blessing for his people. It was there to provide rest. It was to provide refreshment. Yet the Pharisees, in accusing Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath, are completely misinterpreting the law. They're completely getting it backwards. Jesus goes on, and then Jesus goes on to make this other claim that he is insinuating here that he is God in the flesh. He's the one that exercises final authority, even over these rules, even over these regulations concerning the Sabbath day. He's actually the author of these laws. See what Jesus is doing? He's trying to promote, help them understand his authority, but not in an authoritative way that they think authority should be. Religious leaders had authority. They sure had authority. But man, the way they wielded their authority, wow, was a whole lot different than what Jesus wanted to do. Jesus was bringing something new. As the author, he wanted to restore the original intent of the law. That's what he was doing here. He wanted them to understand this is to be a blessing to you. It's for your good. I know what God knows what you need. So don't feel like this thing that you have to do or all these regulations. Enjoy the blessing that I give you. Well, Jesus goes on to demonstrate his authority with, with the emphasis on mercy and care from verses 9 and 10. Let's take a look at that. He says, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so, they might, so that they might accuse him? So we hear, see, this is that same day Jesus goes into a synagogue, and as you saw in the video, there's a man, uh, one of the, I think Mark's gospel says that they brought him a man, but there was a man there that had a withered or a shriveled hand. And the Pharisees go, all right, perfect, perfect opportunity. There's a great chance to test this guy. Let's, let's, let's really see what he's made of here. So now healing, here's the deal. Healing in and of itself um, included, was not included in this list of 39 things that they had said. Yet it was assumed that unless a person's life was at stake and that their life was in danger, that it was forbidden, that it would be work uh, to do that. And obviously, this guy's life was not threatened. He had a shriveled hand, okay? He had uh, this disability with his hand. So this could wait. This could wait till tomorrow. wasn't a big deal. And they all knew that. Okay? Now, this, is, this time instead, though, of referring to Old Testament examples, Jesus, don't you just love how he, Jesus has, always has the perfect answer. He emphasizes his point now. doesn't get all religious, doesn't get all spiritual. He emphasizes his point here purely out of, of common sense. Totally out of common Look what he says here in verse 11 and 12. He says, and he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, according to the law, it was okay, it was fine, it was acceptable to rescue an animal. It's like if your animal fell into a pit or it got hurt, they were fine with that. You could rescue, you could help your animal on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus' argument here is that because a man is obviously more important than a sheep, sorry for you animal, intense animal lovers, but the truth is a man was more important than a sheep, and if doing good for an animal on the Sabbath is allowed, how much more right and good is it to do something for someone who is in need 
on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus is implying mercy here. Okay, He's implying that mercy always is right. And it's always far more important than ceremonial obedience. And this is something that the Pharisees just did not get. This is not what they lived by at all. They were all about keeping the rules, all about keeping the regulations and the, in order to earn favor with God. And I know that some of us struggle with that. Some of us struggle sometimes with feeling like I've got to measure up. Maybe we grew up that way. We had to measure up to a parent or parents that had a certain standard for us and we didn't measure up to that. There was shame involved or punishment. What Jesus is saying here is no. I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to get caught into that trap. I just want you to stop looking at obedience to these laws and these rules as something that earns God favor. He already has favor for you. His compassion is huge. Now, instead of now, what he does here is according to this law here, he says that it's okay to do that, and he's showing mercy. Now, the Pharisees had to know this. They had to know that this was right. I mean, these guys were experts. These guys knew the law. They knew passages like Micah 6, 8, things that said, ones that said, he, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, but to what? To do justice and to love mercy, or some of your versions say kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You can't, isn't it weird? How do you think in your head, how did they get to be so religious and re- with rules and regulations knowing things like this? You see, these guys, these Pharisees looked what, what was happening. They thought that Jesus was denigrating the Torah or the Old Testament Jewish law. But what he was actually doing was demonstrating, he was trying to demonstrate how to keep the central theme of mercy and compassion at the forefront. Mercy, compassion, this is what's most important. Not about keeping the rules. You know, you ever go, who's had an eye exam lately? Anybody had an eye exam? You know, you go in, a couple, they, they, you go in, you sit and they put those big old goggle things, you know, you put up to your face and you look into the thing and the, um, the guy, the optometrist or gal, she, what they, they have you look through it and then they, and they, they start switching A or B, A or B, right? Which can you see? Which is clear? Which is A clear? A or B, A or B. And they keep adjusting and then they keep doing the A or B or B. So they're trying to determine the correct kind of correct lenses that your eyes are going to need. Well, according to Jesus, the proper lens for clearly understanding how God operates and how God views us is mercy. It's through the lens of of mer- when we see, when we look at how God works, sometimes it doesn't make sense what he's working. My wife and I were just talking about this the other day. There's so much that we need as Christians to realize that, that, you know what, I don't understand it. It's just a mystery. There's a lot of mystery wrapped up in how Jesus operates and how God works in this world. But what Jesus is doing in this patch is helping us. When you look through the lens of mercy at all that God is doing, it changes the whole view of things. It put th- puts things into perspective. God is treating me with mercy. This difficult time I'm going through, okay, if I look at it through the lens that God is merciful, it changes the whole outlook. If I look at other people that I'm struggling with, that I'm having a hard time with, people that I want to share Christ with, whatever, and my lens of looking at them is not their behavior, not their performance, not how they treat me, but if my lens of looking at them is mercy and compassion, it changes everything. 
Does that make sense? How we view ourselves even, those of us that are really hard on ourselves, we need to start looking at ourselves through this lens of compassion and mercy. Some of us are so hard on ourselves, so hard on ourselves. We need to get that optometrist lens, say, wait a second, God looks at me and acts in my life with compassion and with mercy. I need to start seeing myself that way too. I need to stop beating myself up. This is what Jesus is getting here at here. It's actually a part of God's very nature to show and feel compassion and kindness. It's not just something he tries to do. It's who he is. It's his very nature to show compassion and to show kindness. That's powerful. We need to wrap our heads around that. Now, you can just imagine this scene, okay? What's going, what's going on here? They've just talked to him, asked him. People are probably just like holding their breath, waiting with bated breath. Okay, what's Jesus going to do now? Is he going he to he heal this guy after what they just said? I, I, I want to see this. I'm going to check this out. Getting their cell phones out, ready to pick, get, a, get a picture, see what is actually going to happen. And look what happens in verse 13. He says, then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. Look at, look what Jesus does. It's not like he goes to work or anything. He just speaks. He just asks the guy, stretch out your hand. And when the guy obeys him, his hand is instantly healed. Now that's a power. That's authority. Now, and you would think that after this miracle, you would think that well, the religious leaders would start to go, hmm, maybe. Maybe there's, maybe there's something to this here. Maybe there's something with his authority. Maybe he is who he says he is. We know that's not the case, right? Saw it in the video, and we know that this is, this is not. It probably emboldened them even more. Look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy. What that means is how to kill. <laughs> Jesus had just shown incredible compassion and mercy on somebody. But because of their view of how religion should go, it inflamed them more. And these are, okay, these are the religious leaders. We need to kill that guy. Wow. See what things in the name of religion can do so often. They wanted to conspire, they went out to conspire how to kill. This shows how um, that um, you can be very religious. You can be super religious, but completely blind to the truth so easily. You can do all the motions. And I'm not talking about just someone who's religious doesn't know Jesus either. You can know Jesus and be very, very into all the practices that we do, but actually blind to the heart of God. You see, when we simply practice religion, our relationship with God is, is denigrated to this mathematical form. You do this and, do, and then do this. Don't do that and presto, you're right with God. Things are, wor- things are working out. And that's totally missing the point. God wants so much more of us. He wants so much for us. He wants to have a real relationship with us. He wants to show us his love. He wants us to love him. 
And that's what the point of this commandment was. The whole point of remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy was God showing his mercy and his compassion for people so that they would enjoy him and enjoy life even more. But it had become a burden. Oh, I got to go to church today because if I don't, you know, man, I'm going to, you know, my church is small. People are going to, and by the way, I know when you're not here, but when people are, are church, <laughs> I've never, like I told you, I've never been in a small church before. So it was a new phenomenon to me to come to church and actually be able to start naming the people in my head, not in a judgmental way, by any way, not by any way. Yeah, you're finally back. No, I'm kidding. But to see, not to, have, not to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do these things out of compulsion. Sure, we don't feel like it a lot of times. That's natural. But God wanted us to have certain things in our life so that we could enjoy him. And the Sabbath was one of them. So I would encourage you even later, a good uh, homework assignment might be, is go out and study the whole idea of Sabbath. What Sabbath rest is really all about. It's a beautiful thing. We could do a whole series on what Sabbath looks like without it feeling like a bunch of rules and regulations. And by the time you're done, you'd feel like, wow, that's freedom. That's joy. Well, that, that brings balance to my life. And yes, Sabbath rest is possible in the Silicon Valley lifestyle. It totally is. It's the freedom that he gives. Now, let's take a look how uh, Jesus responds to this animosity. They want to kill him. Look what Jesus does there. Look how he responds to their animosity in verses 15 and 16. He says, Jesus, aware of this, he totally knew what was happening, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them. He healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. So knowing that he, they, he knew that they wanted to kill him, but instead, you know, it would have been natural to say, you hypocrites, what? Like, like, come on, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. I meant this for your good. No, he just leaves. <laughs> he just goes away. He simply leaves and he, he does, and he goes and he goes and he heals more people, but then he does something interesting. He tells them, don't tell anybody about what's going on here as he's healing these people. Now, this, this really seems odd, and it really seems odd, yet it really fits well with the way Jesus didn't conform to this popular expectation of the coming Messiah. Remember, the coming, their, their expectation that the coming Messiah would come and would absolutely crush all of Israel's enemies. That was their expectation. But what does he do when he's confronted? He leaves quietly, goes and ministers to people, inaugurate, you know, in, 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 ushering in the kingdom in a nice, quiet way. It was just, it's amazing. So different. What these verses do is actually introduce the most significant quotation or the most, yeah, most significant quotation of the Old Testament in Matthew's, all of his gospel. These are like an introductory verses, ones we just saw here. It's, this, what we're just going to look at now is Isaiah's prophecy that really what it does, it paints a picture of not only the Messiah's authority, but the unique, very interesting way that he demonstrates it. We've already got a little picture of that in just this verse by him. Think about that. I want you to have that in your head, how Jesus responded. He just walked away. He didn't engage with him. Now listen to this very interesting prophecy about the Messiah. Verses 17 to 21 say this. This was to fill what was spoke, fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit in him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel 
or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. All right, let's look at, let's look at a, key, a few key points in this passage that help us to understand how Jesus demonstrates his authority with mercy here. First, first thing we see is he's described as this spirit-anointed servant in whom God is well-pleased. Okay, that's verse 18. Verse 15, 18? 18, yes. And it says, what he says here is that he's here to proclaim justice to Israel and to all the Gentiles or to all the nations. Okay, that's what he's going to do. Now, do you ever find yourself wondering about, thinking about this whole idea of justice, do you ever find yourself listening to the news or watching the news and just going or longing for some kind of justice to happen? Especially today. I mean, just this week. Just a lot of the things that have been happening in the news. Haven't you just longed for justice? God, do something or anything to bring justice to this situation. I think it happens all the time. Every time I, I keep telling myself, I'm going to stop watching the news. I keep telling myself, but I'm drawn to it like a car accident. You know, I've got to see what's going on. I've got to see the turmoil going on. I've got to see, I, it's crazy. But I find myself longing. My, my wife and I look at each other sometimes. We watch the news. We just look at each other. This is insane. Where's the justice in this? Who's going to do something about this? Now, this word justice here denotes the idea of passing judgment or bringing about a fair verdict. Isn't that what we want? We want a fair verdict. We want things to be, okay, that's fair. It's all worked out. It's going to be taken care of. Okay? The point is that Jesus has come to ultimately bring a fair verdict. That's why he came. And he brings justice through his victory on the cross. Because of Jesus, we've been declared innocent of sin and rebellion. You think, that, doesn't, that doesn't fix all that I just saw of kids getting hurt and all these different things happen. But look how, so look at what he does. Look at how Jesus, how he focuses on accomplishing justice, bringing justice to the nations. First thing he says is that he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice. We're talking about his mission of bringing justice, of bringing the, bringing the world to understanding salvation and his goodness. And we know we live in a broken world, so there's going to constantly be all this junk and trash that we wish there was justice happening. But he's talking about bringing in a right relationship between man and God here, a fair verdict in that. So what he's happening here is Jesus is saying, I don't need to bring attention to myself to do this. I don't need all this fanfare, okay? I don't need to engage in heated debates. I don't, you know, I don't need to force people to accept my point of view. Jesus basically went about his work without publicity or fanfare. That is so opposite of how we think, isn't it? Wow, this is a good message. Neon light it, baby. You know, let's get social media, this thing, all that, stuff, which necessarily isn't wrong all the time, but that's our go-to. Jesus' go-to of bringing salvation to the world, to bringing justice to the world, he was kind of like ninja style, if you think about it. 
Real stealthy. That's, that's how the majority of times he did it. We don't think that way a lot. Second thing he did, though, is this image. This is this weird verse here. The image of this bruised reed and a smoldering wick. What's the, what is that all about? What this is, that these are pictures of things that are very, very fragile. Okay? It's a poetic picture of the gentle and compassionate way that God's servant brings this justice. Not with bombs, not with... I want to get political. Not with all this stuff, not with force, not with yell, not with... He does it gently here. He brings it with gentleness and compassion. And I think, you know, think about it. So oftentimes, I don't know about you, I think we think we need to be strong. You know, so oftentimes we feel like, you know what, I, I believe I'm strong. I want to be strong. Yet oftentimes, more often than not, the realities of life show us in truth that we're fragile that we're broken people. I know I feel that all the time. We were just driving yesterday. Someone said something about, oh, my wife went on a bike ride yesterday in Half Moon Bay going down the bike path. And I was ahead of her and a guy was coming this way and she told me, she caught up to me later and said, oh, that guy's so funny. He came up, he looked at me and said, so is that your macho husband driving in front of you, riding in front of you? And she went, yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and so I thought to myself, Jokingly, I said, yeah, I'm macho. And then I think to myself, I'm not macho. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm not macho. And I thought, I'm not bad. I'm not dissing on myself. I'm saying, I'm not macho. You know, to you I am. I'm, thank you. I appreciate that, hon. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. Um, but that's not what he's talking about. I think a lot of times we feel broken. We feel weak. We look at others. We look at the things that we keep are drawn to that are destructive in our lives. And we just go, I am so broken. And, I'm, and so that's what he's talking about here. Sometimes we feel as though we're this bruised reed, you know, in, a, in the water, a swamp. And it's kind of just like ready to snap. And, you know, or this smoldering wick, you know, how it's just, a, just about to go out. Sometimes don't you just feel like, oh my gosh, is that, it's going to be snuffed out any second. We just feel that way. We're exhausted. We're tired. We're worn out. We're beat up. That's what he's saying here. Make no mistake here. Jesus is powerful and has all powerful and all authority. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's all been given to him, we saw. We have seen that he's greater than King David. He's greater than the temple. He's great. He's the Lord of the Sabbath who will bring justice to the nation. He's the mighty king. Yet his intentions, ultimately for our good, are proven to us as his children by how he sees us and works in our lives with compassion, humility, and gentleness. Just think about compassion, humility, and gentleness. Something that our world does not espouse as things that you need to strive for. But this is how Jesus works in our lives. When we're just feeling beat up and we're feeling broken, he treats us like a bruised reed. This wick that's just about to go out. He knows exactly what's going on with us. And we know this because we have an example. We know God does this to us because we have an example of how Jesus does it. He's the image and the likeness of the Father. So if this is how Jesus treats people, this is how he treats you and I. This is the essence of who God is. 
And as followers of Jesus, we are to be like him, aren't we? We need to proclaim his authority and greatness. We need to do that. We need to share the gospel with our friends and families and our co-workers. We need to stand up for what we believe, and we need to stand up for those that don't have a voice, yet we don't need to coerce people into accepting our Christian values. That's not our job. Jesus didn't do that. We see this in the story. He didn't force people into the kingdom. He didn't force people to see things the way they shouldn't. He didn't even force the Pharisees. He didn't get into a debate with them about this. He just wasn't willing to do it. We don't need to have the right politicians in the office or to fight to make sure Jesus stands out in our schools or in our place of work, as good as that can be. See, the best way to impact our world for Jesus is to quietly, without fanfare, even when we're falsely accused, to show compassion, humility, and to show gentleness just as he has shown us. I'm not talking about don't be active, don't be vocal, but in all the stuff we do, are we being gentle in that? I mean, we saw how Jesus got pretty upset at a few things while he was here, but he was typically gentle with people that need that word, especially people that needed him and that really were interested and were looking to be helped. The best way that we can respond the truth of this message really is to ask God, the one with all authority, the one with all power, to help us to view him as always having our best intentions. For because of his mercy and his grace and for wisdom, and show that same compassion, that same humility and gentleness to other people. What we've received, what we see as how Jesus treats us, we are then to pass that along. We are then to treat other people. My friends, as we look at what's going on in the news right now, as we look at all the things that are happening, look at all the turmoil that we have in our own lives, let's put on the lens of mercy and of compassion and watch how Jesus rolls with that. Watch how he works in our own life, in the life of our friends and family, and really in our world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us truth that um, so often exposes um, our, heart, our hearts that um, so are in conflict with what you want for us. But God, I thank you that even though that happens, you have mercy, you have compassion on us. You desire us more than anything to let you love us. See us how you see us. And therefore, God, help other people to see that, help them to see how you, that you see them. Help us, Father, to have this view of ourselves, of you, and of others so that we can enjoy you and we can enjoy the love you have for us and others. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't we stand up and we will sing.